Hailing frequencies open and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the Star Trek Discovery episode that just aired on CBS All Access. I'm your host, Caliban, and I want to remind you that context is for kings. Uh, texting is beyond my parents, though. It's, it's so hard for them to just send a text. You know, they always have to phone, but they're from a different time. I understand. They just want to hear my voice. I'm joined on this show by a pair of very special guests. First up, she's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, uh, and she was on our last show. Uh, the Generations Geek is available on Chronic Rift Network. Uh, I'm just calling it right now. I think that she's probably the co-host of this podcast at this point. Uh, Ella Pearson is on the show. Happy to be back. Welcome back, Ella. It's been a few weeks now uh, since there's been a new Generations Geek episode. What's coming down the pipe for GG? Um, it's been more than a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are still working on our multi-part uh, Alien podcast. Oh, nice. Um, so coming up will be the next part of that. Is that so you've uh, had one of those already? And are you covering um, the entire sphere, like the comic books, like every single thing that's got Alien on it in the world or the movies? Or <laughs> what? So far, we are just planning on the movies. So we've done the two prequels, and next up will be Alien and Aliens. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, and so, and you're uh, looping um, Covenant, right, and uh, Prometheus and all that good stuff into it. And I say good stuff, but I, that's just an expression. I was going to say good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not you so great. You can listen to the podcast about it. <laughs> Uh, and also joining us on the show tonight, he's the author of Hammerjack and Prodigal, and he penned the novella Revenant for the Trek Seven Deadly Sins anthology. He's Mark Giller. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Uh, considering I'm the guest and you guys are the two co-hosts, you have to promise <laughs> not to gang up. You have to you promise not to gang up on me, though. That's, okay. that's all I ask. Anyway. All right. Yes. Provisionally, yes. Uh, Mark, you were on <laughs> Enterprising Individuals early in the year, and we were talking about uh, we talked about the episode Conspiracy, and one of the things that you kind of praised about it was uh, taking Trek in different directions, um, the sort of like horror aspects. And you said that you might want to see that in maybe an upcoming show. And after watching this episode, I think you're kind of getting your wish. Uh, big time. I, yeah. you know, I was very uh, kind of bowled over by it uh, because, you know, I mean, to be honest, uh, I was not extremely impressed with uh, the two part pilot. Um, in fact, I, I had a heck of a lot of complaints about it. I did a, a blog post on a website that I write for, which is, you know, kind of you know, detailing all my nitpicky uh, things that I had wrong with it. But, you know, overall, I just thought that that the tone was, you know, just very mixed. Uh, the entire thing was a mess. Uh, didn't particularly care for the way they developed the characters. And, you know, it's just like a show called Star Trek Discovery, and where's the Starship Discovery? <laughs> I mean, don't even get to see that until <laughs> right. a later episode comes along. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, going into this, uh, you know, particularly whenever I see the two words Akiva Goldsman associated with anything, I'm, I'm always very, very uh, dubious at best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, definitely going into this episode, you know, I mean, I, I didn't exactly know what to expect. And, you know, I mean, you know, and certainly it was a, a really a big wholesale uh, change. Uh, not only in the direction of the story, but uh, also the tone and everything else. And uh, yeah, you want to talk about you know dark, 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 dark stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, I was I was very impressed uh, and just uh, amazingly very, very, very surprised with uh, with the direction they seem to be taking this. They're amping up the the dark, dark, grim, dark aspects um, because this there's a lot of tood on the uh, Star Trek or on the uh, Discovery. Uh, a lot of people have big attitudes, and it seems like they took that rule about uh, nobody has any conflicts in the future, and instead of just putting it in a side drawer, they threw it into a volcano. I mean, like everybody seems angry and upset, and they all seem to hate each other uh, on board the Discovery. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they definitely make Deep Space Nine look like a love boat. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, well, I wanted to say, uh, just looking back, you mentioned the pilot. Um, the news is pretty good about the pilot. I think uh, CBS said, with no specific numbers, but they said that they specifically had um, really increased their subscriber growth on CBS All Access, um, due, I'm sure, to the show. And the ratings are pretty high for the debut episode as well, with around 10 million viewers um, last Sunday. So that's not too bad. Um, those, are, of course, are the broadcast uh, rev- uh, uh, Nielsen ratings uh, for the Vulcan Hello that aired on CBS. So things are looking pretty good as far as uh, people watching the show so far. Yeah, then that's, uh, you know, it's, it's heartening to see because, again, you know, like I said, I mean, even though I, had, I definitely had my reservations with the uh, the two pilot episodes, uh, you know, I've always, you know, Star Trek has had a, a real kind of a, you know, a mixed history when it comes to pilot episodes. I mean, even hearkening back to the original series, uh, you know, when Gene Roddenberry did The Cage and NBC initially rejected that and then they went back and retooled it for where no man has gone before. Yeah. You know, even going back that far, you know, obviously they had problems and then things that they needed to work out. And, you know, of course, the, the everybody knows about, you know, uh, the Star Trek The Next Generation uh, encounter at Farpoint. I mean, you know, the production problems on that were legendary. And, you know, the, the end product, you know, with the giant space jellyfish flying off in the end as well, too. It was <laughs> de- definitely, definitely problematic, you know. And, and that, that, that series, you know, it probably took, you know, an entire two seasons before they finally got their feet beneath them. Uh, so to kind of see this, uh, you know, uh, taking such a radical change in direction um, and, you know, definitely one which I think is, very interesting in that it is very different uh, for Star Trek. Um, you know, again, I mean, it, as you mentioned, conspiracy. You know, the episode that we talked about uh, last year, and uh, this is you know kind of very, very much in that vein, uh, a, a very overall creepy, uh, suspenseful kind of feel to it. And you know, just the way they they seem to be building up uh, Captain Lorca as well too. You know, you don't you don't know everything about the guy. And, you know, I kind of had my suspicions that maybe he wasn't being completely forthright uh, with with Burnham. <laughs> Uh, you know, when they're having their conversation about, you know, the space spores that can take you to the end of the universe. And that all seems very, very happy and go lucky, but not, not in the tone of the rest of the episode. And the way they ended it up definitely, you know, proved me the right about that point. Yeah, yeah. Captain Lorca named as such because Ahab was already taken, I think. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh- you mentioned, uh, yeah, so uh, I want to know what you guys think now that the pilot is out of the way, and you'd mentioned, Mark, that it did feel like a sort of superfluous kind of extra prelude type story. In fact, Aaron Harberts, uh, the co- uh, co-runner of the show, did uh, specifically talk about how they consider the third episode to be the pilot. And my thing is like, all right, well, then why have the first two episodes, which were fine, but there's a lot of story elements uh, in her backstory that could have been told in flashback or just some other kind of way throughout the season. As an author, Mark, what do you think about the way that they've structured and told the story so far? Well, as I said, you know, with the pilots, uh, with the two pilot episodes, you know, I was definitely did not uh, did not care for that all that much. And, you know, certainly as a writer, I I hate flashbacks as a story device. Absolutely can't stand. Oh, boy. And, you know, it just, uh, you know, and certainly in those those first two episodes, I mean, you know, Burnham was having flashbacks left and right. Yeah, right, right. Always, you know, and, you know, I guess that's okay uh, if you structure it in the right way. But, you know, they had, you know, all of these, you know, big tense action scenes building up with the Klingons and the ships. And they're worried about everything blowing everything up. And it's all hell's about to break loose. And then they stop in the middle of it to have a flashback. And it just it could really <laughs> just interrupted the flow uh, of the whole thing as well, too. So, you know, that may have been part of the problem that, uh, that I had with it. Uh, but, you know, I, I just generally don't like that all that much. But, you know, it, it's, you know, the, but I guess the main thing is with those first two episodes is like it was all essentially the way they set it up is completely backstory. 
You know, so, yeah. you know, you, you know, this captain is going to die, you know, because obviously she's not going to be the main character on the show, the main captain of the show. Uh, you yeah. know, and it's, the discovery hasn't even made an appearance yet. So, you know, that, the, you know, the Shenzhou whole thing was that that was just strictly temporary as well, too. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And, you know, and all of that, you know, I, I would have probably started off with this as the pilot, as it definitely seems to set a better tone. And hopefully the, the rest of the series will follow through with that same tone that they've established in this one as well, too. And, you know, maybe just kind of related those things in, you know, just uh, little elements here and there, backstory telling you a little bit more and more a bit about Burnham as time goes by and, you know, kind of reveal her character and right. maybe make her a little bit more mysterious. But she's as just... it is right now, yeah, we just kind of have everything <laughs> all at once. Yeah. she's Well, yeah, she could just be introduced. She's the mutineer. Ooh, what's her story? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, then and that would have been in. interesting to find out as time goes by. But uh, yeah, you know. it, it's a very TV way to tell uh, stories, you know, with flashbacks. And um, there's a thing that uh, I feel like Battlestar Galactica probably started uh, popularizing it. But the whole, oh, I don't know how we're going to get out of this 72 hours earlier. And so they start, you know, <laughs> immediately, uh, immediate rest, as it were, with the, the, the teaser. And then they go back and sort of fill it in. I expected they'd do something like that. But, you know, they're doing this instead. Um, yeah. Ella, uh, question for you. To me, I don't feel – does this feel like Trek to you? Yeah. Wa- it does? I was watching this um, just at the, at the end of this uh, last episode that we just watched, Context is for Kings. I was watching it, and there was the conversation between Cadet Tilly, um, my new, new favorite character. There's going to be a new one every <laughs> week, I think. Uh, she was talking to Burnham, and I was like, this doesn't – I don't mean like it doesn't feel like Trek, like in a you know trolley kind of way. I just mean like it doesn't feel – like an episode of Star Trek, and that's fine. It kind of feels like a sci-fi series, or like a like a Battlestar Galactica spinoff, or something like that. I feel like Trek is around the edges, but with the serialized storytelling and the very dark tone, I, I just kind of realized I, this doesn't really feel like Trek. What do you think? Um, this episode definitely, I think, feels different than what we've seen on Star Trek before. Um, especially like the rift between the first two episodes and then this one. It seems like a completely different story. Yeah. Um, which is fine, and I'm completely down for it I, th- I thought that was an amazing episode um but it still feels like star trek to me just kind of like uh <laughs> it's, it's not your grandma's trek <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely not uh, well, we did just uh, finish watching the uh, third episode of Star Trek Discovery, Context is for Kings. The official synopsis from CBS was, Michael Burnham finds herself aboard the USS Discovery, where she quickly re- realizes things are not as they seem, including the mysterious Captain Gabriel Lorca, uh, the the uh, heir to the fortune cookie throne, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice touch. Yeah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun little bit. And of course, they bring it back at the end when he, you know, hands her a cookie. Like, what her, what's her fortune? What's her future going to be? That was good. <laughs> Yeah, we, nice, uh, nice bit of way to bring the uh, the story back to the beginning. Yeah, I guess we have, that means that we have to add uh, to seek out new life and boldly go where no one's gone before in bed. You have to add that to the end of that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, for sure. But you know, I tell you, it's, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned how this you know kind of doesn't uh, doesn't totally feel like Star Trek, and you know, in, in one respect, I think that's absolutely true. In that, uh, one of the complaints I had uh, about the next generation was how everybody really seemed to speak in this uh, stilted uh, Star Trek techno babble formal type stuff, which sure. you know, just really didn't sound like 
uh, people who were familiar with each other and known each other for years and really, really, really close uh, would talk to one another. Right. And I, I had that same problem with the the first uh, two episodes as well, the, the the two part pilot, in that it was just oh my gosh. I mean, I just you know the joke that I made was it seemed like they used the same wooden dialogue generator that they used on Twenty Four. Okay. And it, right. yeah, but with this one though, it, it was definitely uh, I mean definitely a difference in the dialogue and the way that the characters related to one another too. Because I, I did enjoy the interaction. And the way that they talk to one another, you know, aside from, you know, they're already hating each other's guts and snapping at each other and whatnot. The, the, the conversation, the dialogue, uh, the way that people talk to each other actually felt a lot more real to me. Yeah. And plus, you, there's always the I mean, if you don't feel like, you know, if I want to continue with this whole it's not Trek thing, um, you can always just say that it's, you know, Discovery is being set up as a very different ship. You know, it exists outside of the normal uh, fleet of Starfleet and they're off kind of doing their own thing and everybody's sort of looking side eye at each other and. Uh, you know, maybe there's plenty of happy ships <laughs> back in Starfleet who are all uh, talking in very stilted dialogue and getting in weird, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexual adventures on uh, pleasure planets or something like that. But yeah, it is a little different. Speaking of the Discovery, we get our first look, our first real look at the Discovery uh, in this episode. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, it's you know, I just I'm kind of wondering about the scale of this ship. I mean, it practically looks as big as a galaxy class or uh, like the USS right. Vengeance from Star Trek Into Darkness. I mean, yeah. it, just, it seems like a really, really, really big ship, certainly even bigger than the, than the Constitution class Enterprise that we see in the original series. I'm fairly sure that it is bigger than the Constitution class. Um, there's a picture online somewhere that's got uh, Michael Burnham standing on the saucer for scale. And she's a lot smaller than uh, similar pictures I've seen of people standing on the uh, the Enterprise, the original Enterprise uh, saucer. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty big ship. Mm-hmm. For a science ship, that seems a little strange. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of unusual. So it would be interesting to see what her capabilities are going to be like or if they have any secret surprises on board to fight the Klingons. I'm sure they do, like the like the kitty. <laughs> yeah, what was that thing? <laughs> I don't know. Was that, was that, was, that was like the pig lizard from this Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Except a lot meaner. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, in you know serial sort of grim show style, they have to set up that Lorca has, uh, you know, be, had this thing beamed over and put in his little menagerie for like, hmm, sort of tenting his fingers, like oh, we're gonna get back to this one later, I'm sure. Yeah, kind of shades of uh, Alien right there. You know, speaking about the Alien podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that's I was definitely show. thinking about that when they were when they first beamed over. I was like, why is this literally an Alien movie? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. So that scene where where Burnham was crawling through the uh, the the tunnels there just really reminded oh, me of yeah. uh, Tom Skerritt and Alien. You know, when he was uh, when Captain Dallas was was going through there trying to flush the alien out. Right. <laughs> or when it runs past the first time and they just see like movement. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, by the way, that that. that that part where that little throwaway moment with the Klingon went, Shh. oh, that was priceless. Yeah. That really was. Oh, my God, that was so good. <laughs> so strange. Yeah, just like, who are you? Shh. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> no, this is definitely, this is definitely the, the writers there definitely showed a kind of a, a really nasty, dark sense of humor there. So I'm, I'm de- definitely hoping that they'll run with that. Do you think, um, either of you, as we go forward, um, that the show will try to sort of um, bite little things, sample genres? Um, this week was clearly like kind of an alien ripoff. Um, I don't mean ripoff. I just mean they borrowed. Um, <laughs> do you think that they'll go they'll be doing that as they go through the uh, 13 episodes of the show? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. If it's like this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you like the episode? Oh, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. 
something that I really enjoyed about it was getting to meet finally, you know, getting to meet our crew and all the people oh that we've gosh, heard yes. so much about. Yeah. And of course, mm-hmm. we get to meet uh, Captain Lorca, played by uh, the inimitable uh, Jason Isaacs, who has just become oh, yeah. a uh, personal hero for me in the last couple months. Oh, oh I know, definitely. I know. <laughs> there, were, there were rumors. There were rumors years ago that uh, he was uh, going to be up for playing James Bond before they uh, oh, cast oh, Daniel Craig, and I okay. was really hoping that that would happen. But I'm yeah, yeah. And it's definitely uh, it's telegraphing a little bit uh, in the casting of him because you don't really ca- I mean he would have been a great Bond, but you don't usually cast Jason Lorca or, uh, or excuse me Isaacs uh, unless you're got a villainous character, or at least a character that's got a, a dark streak. Yeah, certainly, and you know, but he definitely he doesn't seem like your typical bad guy, though. You know, I don't think he's uh, you know some Section Thirty One spook uh, type person. You know, sure. he may have really you know been a, a science guy. You know, he just kind of really got thrown into this horrible situation with the uh, with the war starting with the Klingons, and you know, maybe he's just one of these by all means necessary and just you know get this thing won and get it done, and then we can go ahead and move on. But uh, yeah, that's definitely it's more interesting take than uh, you know your your typical you know kind of stuffy stuff shirt starship captain. You know, uh, duty and honor above all else. I mean, this guy definitely looks like. You know, he'd uh, he'd go ahead and you know kick out your knees underneath you in a fight, <laughs> right? Yeah, throw yeah, sand in your face. Yeah, he's the opposite of Giorgio. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I like. And this is um, the good side of it, not feeling like Trek, at least for me, is that we always see captains. They always have to be upstanding and heroic and like these paragons. Uh, and if they're not, if there's somebody like um, Pressman or um, the guy that the guy uh, Terry O'Quinn played in uh, the one episode with the Pegasus, I can't remember the character's name. Um, it's like those are the bad guys but in this case we have a captain who's like i don't really know about this guy like he might not be the guy that we're going to look to um i feel like he's sincere he wants to win this war for sure but for somebody like uh michael burnham who is looking hopefully for redemption or at least you know punishment after doing something doing things that were against the sort of beliefs and and rules of starfleet to hook her up with a guy like this that's bad that's like uh that's an enabler that's like if you're trying not to you know (laughs) You're an alcoholic and you're hanging out around the bar. Yeah, it's not really good. I know. It, it kind of makes you wonder if uh, if his character, maybe we'll find out more about this as the series goes on, if he's already really already done some really, really bad things that uh, that we don't know about just yet. Uh, you know, kind of like, you know, this sort of brings, you know, you're mentioning Battlestar Galactica as well, too. And it kind of brings to mind a little bit about, you know, how they had uh, Michelle Forbes play uh, Commander Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the commander of the Pegasus, you know, who was just, you know, she was a hard ass and she even, you know, murdered her first officer on the bridge as well, too. So, you know, God <laughs> know. only knows what she was capable of. But, uh, you know, it, it'd be very interesting to see if, if he was that that type of guy. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, you know I mean, you could, but you can definitely see some some of the some of the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica influence at work here as well, too, I think. And, you know, certainly in the overall dark tone. So you sure. know, I'm definitely I'm definitely digging that. Well, we don't know who the uh, first officer was before Saru got on there. So maybe that, they had a similar situation. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you got to send us more first officers. <laughs> it's not a job that you want. Uh, so we've met uh, Lorca. Uh, we've also uh, met Cadet Tilly, who I mentioned before, um, who wants to call Michael Burnham. Um, was it like Mickey or something? <laughs> yeah, is... yeah. Oh, Mickey, you're so bad. We got to so bring that. Back. Blow my mind. <laughs> they definitely have to bring that back. Uh, I want to see that happen. And uh, and also a Lieutenant um, Stamets uh, that I think I'm saying right. I've had a lot of trouble saying that name in the run up to this show. But then even on the show, I feel like I heard it three or four different ways. Like, uh, I, yeah. I just call him. I just call him Lieutenant Asshole. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Or oh, the... am I allowed to say, am I allowed to say this on that podcast? Uh, let's see. Well, this is PG thirteen, so that's fine. Okay, all right, good enough. Uh, if they can uh, use uh, cable cursing on Discovery, then we're we're fine, I think. Okay, um, good. Yeah, or just um, um, Lieutenant uh, Mark from Rent, or, or just whatever. You know, <laughs> that works too. And he's working on some very strange things uh, in his lab that we later find out is 
Actually, I was hoping you guys could explain it to me. So there are spores and they can travel at warp or something. <laughs> like what was actually going on? <laughs> uh, what was what were we explained to at the end? Ellen. I don't know. I was thinking about the um, creepy ship from, was it Into Darkness, where they had the scary ship that went way too fast? Oh, um, you mean like um, the like the, like the movie Event Horizon? I, I have no idea. <laughs> Are you talking about a Star Trek <laughs> episode? Because there's a movie called Event no, Horizon. No, I'm talking about J.J. Trek. Oh, J.J. Trek. Um, there's a ship that went too fast. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Because it's really USS uh, Vengeance, the, the yeah, the big dreadnought that they uh, that they built. Oh well, yeah, they had the a transwarp drive. Black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, that was the Vengeance. Yeah, that was that was the big black ship, the really nasty one. Right. Yeah. But you don't even need ships in that universe though, because they can just beam from planet to planet. But that is a different okay. show. Um, <laughs> so apparently, we've got something similar to that here. Like we all thought, as Michael Burnham did, that this would be some kind of biological weapon, but. I wondered why in the middle of the episode, uh, Lieutenant Mark from Rent stops the entire show and then he gives this big speech about the muscles and, and tendons and veins or whatever of the universe. And it has to do with um, astromycology. And I'm like, interesting. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks that their field has to do with everything. So maybe yeah. it's just his a speech about that. And then it turns out he's right. Apparently, you, they're working on a uh, an organic propulsion drive, which is very strange. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. How, you know, I mean, I guess it would certainly put you at an advantage if you could jump anywhere in the universe that you wanted to go. Uh, but in terms of how they want to weaponize that against the Klingons, uh, I don't know. But there's probably more to it than, than meets the eye, as, as, as we've kind of seen with, uh, with all the other elements that they seem to be lining up with this as well. Yeah, it's very imaginative, and it's certainly out of the box for Trek. But I just wonder how, if, if it's sort of like an escalation um, in, in storytelling and in that, you know, we've told all the stories, even Enterprise, which is supposed to be about, you know, the origins of Starfleet, essentially, uh, turns into like this sort of time travel, you know, time war type thing. Like we couldn't just have a, a show that was about a lady who's trying to get her groove back, you know, and, and be a captain, <laughs> uh, captain, be on this ship and serve well. Uh, now we have to like we introduce like this whole idea of, oh, there's this faster than, you know, than anything propulsion drive that's based on. Um, fungus, I guess. <laughs> so I wonder what'll how that'll shake out. Um, I was kind of wondering what you guys thought about that as well, because this clearly doesn't make it into future uh, centuries that we know about. So where do you think they're going with this? Hmm. Ella, what do you think? What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued, but I, I don't know where it's going. <laughs> and do the ships smell like mildew? That's what I want to know. Hmm. That's a <laughs> Definitely a possibility there. I mean, I've, I've you know, it certainly smelled like my dorm room closet uh, before I moved out <laughs> at the end of the year. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope it's one of those things where they've actively uh, plotted that out and they know the writers know exactly where they want to take it. Yeah. Um, if not, it, you know, may just, you know, end up turning to be like, you know, like all the 50 different elements and lost that they never tied up by the end of the series. Oh, just kind of <laughs> threw that out there and like, oh, forgot completely about it. Oh, no, about it. The audience won't remember that from, from the, the, the day to day. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, I honestly, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty decent at guessing the direction that these things are going to go into. And I, I definitely don't know what they're going to be doing with that. So that's, that's, that's definitely a plus on the, on the writer's part. So it doesn't register on your threat ganglia. No, not just yet. But, uh, we'll we'll see. You know, if they forget about it for the next five episodes, and uh, well, well, I guess we'll have our answer. Right. 
Um, I was going to uh, ask you about what you thought about the show and how it... Um, a lot of people seem to either complain about the look of the show or love the look of the show, just in terms of how it fits with uh, the other shows um, in terms of their style visually. Uh, Mark, what, how, do you, what, how do you feel about the visual style of the show? I love the visual style of the show. Um, I, honestly, I, I can understand from the, the point of view of the hardcore fans of Star Trek and watching this for years that it def- definitely doesn't fit into, okay, how can... How, can 10 years from now we can go from you know all of that cool stuff that we see on the discovery right. to you know the starship enterprise looking like the 1960s version of you know the 22nd <laughs> century right so you know you know they're you know they're communicating with each other via holograms you know look very very star warsy type of look to that you know whereas beforehand they were just communicating on visual visual screens and things like that so yeah i mean you know in terms of uh, overall continuity it, you know it's it seems like it's it's more like uh from the kelvin universe than the the original series universe mm-hmm. uh in a lot of ways you know, and certainly the look of the bridge and, you know, the technology that they have on display and all the touch screens and all the rest of that stuff. But, you know, I, I tend to be less nitpicky about that kind of thing because I realize, you know, this is 2017. So obviously we can't have a show that looks like it was shot back in the 1960s. You know, although right. I do kind of miss the mid, the miniskirt uniforms were kind of nice and I, I do miss <laughs> those. But but uh, aside from that, though, you know, it, it definitely, you know, seems to have a pretty realistic look and feel. Um, everybody's wearing the same uniform. That's that's kind of a nice change from next generation where everybody was wearing a different uniform. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it definitely seems more military, more navy to me, which is uh, you know kind of a thing that uh, that I like as well too. So you know, it, overall, I I definitely think it works, um, and I, I think it's just one of those things that the fans are just going to have to not think about in yeah, terms of how I it fits in fits in with serious continuity. You're probably right. Um, there's also some elements like there's a, I think we see a robot like crew member in this episode, and then of course there was Ensign Daft Punk from the uh, premiere, uh, <laughs> and you also see uh, you also see cybernetic elements, um, which I thought was interesting. I think you and I, um, as a cyberpunk writer yourself, you and I talked uh, when you appeared on Enterprise Individuals about how the cyberpunk elements that you write about just never made it into this universe. Um, computers are an afterthought almost. And there's very, uh, except for like something like Geordi's prosthesis, you don't see a lot of um, cybernetics. And yet we have it here in the show. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, was that with, uh, what was it, uh, the Dennis, uh, her character? Yeah, she got kind of, right, I guess, yeah. half of her face blown off uh, in the, the, the Battle <laughs> yeah. of the Binary Stars and uh, had to have that, that put on there. Yeah, yeah, and there was also Lork has mentioned about, you know, how he didn't want to get any kind of a, a prosthetic put on because of his eyes. You know, he'd suffered uh, some uh, kind of injuries to his eyes as well, too. Yeah. So that, that is kind of that is kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to see, I'd like to see them develop that a little bit as well too. You know, obviously I like cyberpunk and, and those kinds of elements. So, you know, they're definitely seem to be a lot more open, uh, to doing those different kinds of things, which, you know, is a nice, is a nice refreshing change. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Ella, what do you, what do you think? Are you Sorry, pro? repeat the question. So I was pro? very distracted by <laughs> Mark's answer. <laughs> Uh, it was entrancing. Um, just the, just the, not the visual style necessarily, but the idea of adding things, uh, other future things like cybernetics and robotics and things like that into, into your trek. Right. Um, the first episodes I was a little distracted and I'm by just like how futuristic it was with like what the holograms I talked about before, but this episode, I'm kind of leaning into it to be honest. Okay. Um, just cause it's visually pretty stunning. Um, and I think it's trying to be more like what um, the original series would have been if they had had, you know, like all the cool green screen CGI effects. Yeah. Um, and I also I was hearing um, sound bites out of the original series when okay. um, Burnham was on the bridge for the first time. I heard like a like a whistle or something. 
mm-hmm. that made me like flashback. Um, so that was really nice. I thought, um, as for the cybernetics, I didn't really think about it when I was watching it. Um, but now that both of you point that out, um, it is really interesting that they would choose to have that sort of like human robot hybrid look in this series as opposed mm. to the other series. Um, I guess it could be something about how it's a little bit darker. The tone is darker. So like more people are having to have like, um, was it Kayla? What was her name? Kayla, the, on when she walked into the cafeteria, the helmsman and, from the Shen show. Yeah. Yeah, like, the reason she has that is because she got hurt in the war. So if we're going to see that as, like, a recurring theme where people have cybernetics because they were hurt in the war. That could be neat, yeah. Yeah. Although the communications officer on the Shen Show had, like, a Lobot sort of thing around his head. And I don't know if that was something that he needed because of an injury or if that's just their version of the thing that Uhura sticks in her ear. To help him uh, be a communications officer. I like uh, light seems to be a real theme so far in the show. Of course, the uh, Klingons lit the beacon last week. And then now Lorca, they give a, <laughs> they give a kind of weak explanation as to why the sets are so dark because uh, Lorca, the light hit, hurts his eyes. So I just, yeah. <laughs> I think it's yep. funny that, you know, if they're trying to shake uh, the sort of implication that they're uh, borrowing or this is even said in the J.J. Abrams universe, they probably shouldn't uh, keep going to the light and the lens flares and that sort of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, they know how it's damning. Look, uh, look cool. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, you notice they did the, they did the same thing too. You know, on uh, the next generation movies, uh, you know, the, uh, for the t- from the TV series where everything was very, very light and bright. You know, obviously, you know, they're shooting it for television, so they had those limitations. But you know, like when you go to like uh, uh, you know the Star Trek movies, you know, particularly like uh, First Contact, very, very, very dark lighting. So that's that's kind of kind of in that same tradition, I think. Right. And also war is always uh, darkly lit because when um, the Enterprise is thrown into the um, timeline in yesterday's Enterprise, uh, suddenly the bridge gets really dark. Yeah, and I, I love that look in that episode as well, too. And I, I kind of missed it when the episode was over. I was like, oh, man. They're going to go back just... to the hotel lobby. I know. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. That would have been great if they just kind of stayed in that universe for like, you know, half a season. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, alas, it was not to be. Well, yes. Uh, let's talk about, uh, as we're getting close to the end of the show here, uh, tell me some of your favorite parts or your favorite part from the episode. Ella, what really stood out for you in the show? Um, I was kind of distracted um, by the thought that Sarek might have talked to Lorca about Burnham. Oh, okay. Because he said that bit about waste, and that's like exactly... I think Sarek used the word waste when he when they had that like thousand mile like mind meld. Yeah, right. He was like, I don't want to see your talents wasted. And then right. Lorca was like, I don't want to see waste within the Federation. And I was like, I was um, intrigued. Um, I don't know. My favorite part is the whole episode. <laughs> valid. <laughs> totally valid. I'm, I'm very enthralled by this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like the uh, the breath print, which does not oh my God. <laughs> does not seem very secure. Um, and plus, I think uh, speaking of aliens, didn't they have those in uh, Alien uh, Resurrection? Ellie, you watched those recently, right? I don't think I watched Resurrection recently. Oh, okay. Because uh, uh, Call, uh, one of the writers' character, I think, like uses um, she gets Dan Hedaya's breath somehow and like opens one of the doors with it. So it doesn't seem real secure, like a real good security system for your uh, Navy ship. Um, yeah, what? yeah, they might want to go for the retinal scan. You know, yeah, right. Pluck, pluck somebody's eyeball out if you want to get past that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Uh, but, well, I, that's something else that I wanted to point out that isn't uh, something that I kind of wish that they would work on is um, I want to see more aliens. Like, Saru is great. He's so fully realized. But other than that, it's just kind of all humans. Yeah, that was a big improvement for uh, Saru, though. In the first uh, the first episode, he seemed kind of like this nebbish uh, alien type, you know, almost like a like an alien incarnation of C-3PO, uh, which sure. is kind of yeah. really, really annoying. But uh, this time around, though, I mean, he's first officer and he seems, you know, they, they definitely seem to have a, be getting a better grip on the character, which is good to see. And he likes blueberries. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I like blueberries. Everybody likes blueberries. <laughs> well, apparently you get uh, blueberries in a, a, a Federation prison, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, they feed them better than uh, they feed them on Rura Pente, I guess. You're right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Mark, did anything really stand out for you about this episode? Uh, you know, I really like Commander Landry. <laughs> okay, sure. The security officer? She seems uh, uh, she's definitely uh, seems like a very, very interesting character. And, you know, this definitely no nonsense, you know, not uh, asserting herself in, you know, kind of like the way that, you know, Tasha Yar did when she tried to seem, you know, so tough at the very beginning of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. She's just very, very quietly badass. And uh, right. I definitely, uh, I definitely like that. And very, you know, the alien was like busting through the door and she's sitting here and is like, uh, we need to leave. Yeah, very, very know. calm, very, very <laughs> bad. Just, you know, definitely somebody you want to want on your side in a firefight. And you, you can see, uh, there's a little flash of a very familiar relationship between her and the captain at the very end, uh, you know, when uh, they're talking about how they, you know, beam their little little pig lizard guest uh, back to the ship. Right. And, uh, you know, you suspect that there's, I would suspect that there's, you know, some kind of interesting relationship between the two of them, uh, which maybe they're the only two people who are really in the know as to what they're, what's really going on there or something else. But, you know, I found myself intrigued by that, and I do hope they develop that as well. Yeah, uh, Rika Sharma, another Battlestar Galactica veteran there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. She was one. She was one of the. She was one of the final five, wasn't she? Um, very old spoiler, but yeah, spoiler nonetheless. <laughs> okay. nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you don't know about that by now, you're right. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting, and I think that this appears in the JJ films as well. Uh, maybe they borrowed it from that. But now going to warp seemed to, seems to have a kind of Star Wars sort of effect. Because you kind of shoot away, and then you're there's like a kind of a hyperspace sort of swirl outside the windows, which uh, mm-hmm. normally hasn't been the case. It's just the the um, Doppler star effect. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's like less of the I guess the rubber bandy thing like we saw from uh, Next Generation, right? But. Yeah. Uh, my opinion, I still, I still like the Star Trek the motion picture going to warp the best. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's uh, the end all be all of that effect. Yeah, that is a great effect. Um, mm-hmm. The filming of the episode two is. Um, interesting. Um, it's very on track. Um, there's a lot of like that shaky cam sort of thing that you get on um, uh, Law and Order, or, like a detective show, uh, where it's not you know just nailed down to the tripod. Um, it sort of moves around and it's supposed to give it a more uh, I don't know like a more tense kind of feel. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely yeah, well. Yeah, they did a lot of that on Battlestar Galactica as well too. Yeah, uh, exactly. Of course, cinema verite. You know, like you're uh, almost as if you're a, a person on board the ship and you're following it around and, and seeing the action for yourself. So, but it's not distractingly so. I mean, I didn't really pick up on that too much. But you know, in some cases, you know, it's just really, really shaky and it gets to be annoying. But <laughs> yeah. in this case, I, I think yeah, it was definitely seemed a lot more organic than that. Ella, are you a Battlestar Galactica fan? Um, not really, unfortunately. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Never even tried. I, just, I haven't seen that much of it. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, please! I remember watching. I watched the original series when I was a kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> Shows you how old I am. <laughs> uh, well, insofar as you should send somebody to a non-Star Trek show on a Star Trek show, uh, I'd say check out Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, and I think you know if you if you like that and you're unsure about this, uh, certainly if they they keep oh, going yeah. in this direction, yeah, I think that you'll you know the people who like the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica will definitely appreciate the way that this is going. Yeah, I I totally agree. Well, uh, we're pretty much wrapping up here. I think that's going to be our show for this week. So I want to say thanks to the listeners for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you hear on this show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EIST Pod for updates. And you can get notified when new episodes of both this show, Star Trek Discoverage, and Enterprising Individuals, our main show, are released. And you can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage. Uh, join us next week. Come back next Sunday. We'll be talking about the fourth episode of Star Trek Discovery. The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Yikes. That's really the title of the episode. It sounds like a Thomas Harris novel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. Uh, Mark, Mark, where can people find you online? Uh, my personal website is www.hammerjack.net. Great. And Ella, where can people find Generations Geek on the, on the Internet? Uh, you can listen to our podcast at uh, The Chronic Rift. Uh, otherwise, you can check out our website, generationsgeek.com, or we're trying to gain followers on the Generations Geek Instagram, Ooh. which is run exclusively by me, <laughs> and that's just Generations Geek. <laughs> uh, Generations Geek on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me on the episode. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And we are signing off for now. This is Caliban for Ella and Mark saying live long and prosper.